Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. As we are now getting into the second half of Ramadan, I wanted to remind everyone, inshallah ta'ala, about two things. Bidhanahi ta'ala, as you all have been following the Judgment Day series in Quran 30 for 30, our programming really kicks into another gear in the last 10 nights. And inshallah ta'ala, we start that off with a webathon that uh, runs for a few hours on the 21st day, but then night has to take us right into the 21st night. Obviously, we look for your support in that webathon, inshallah ta'ala, and we also hope you benefit from it. If you've attended these webathons in the past, you know that there are just gems upon gems upon gems. So we actually do do topics and we divide them amongst a broad range of speakers, similar to what we do on 30 for 30, to get us ready for the last 10 nights, inshallah ta'ala. And so we ask you to tune into that webathon, inshallah ta'ala, uh, the information will be coming out. And of course, I'll be reminding you every night, inshallah ta'ala. Until then, we will adjust the 30 for 30 programming when that time comes. And then last 10 nights, it's uh, we're going to have a nightly dua with Sheikh Suleiman Hani. We're going to have uh, nightly late night reflections, inshallah ta'ala, with Sheikh Yasser Bajas and myself. So the YouTube channel will be running pretty much the entire day and night, uh, especially throughout the night, ta'ala. once we get into the last 10, we pray that it will all be beneficial. And that inshallah ta'ala, you'll continue to support uh, our work with the Ta'ala. Uh, with that being said, alhamdulillah, we have Ustada Zainab Ansari with us, mashallah, joining us from Knoxville, Tennessee, from uh, the Taysir Seminary. May Allah bless you and bless the work that's being done over there. How are you, Ustada Zainab? Assalamu alaikum Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well. Good to see everybody. Thank you for inviting me. It's very exciting to be here again. Alhamdulillah. We're, we're blessed that you could join us. And uh, I wanted to mention this because we've been talking about interesting suhoor. So before I ask about food stuff, you're from New Orleans. Or you were born in New Orleans, alhamdulillah. So a fellow New Orleanian here, alhamdulillah. How long did you live in New Orleans before you moved to, did you move to Atlanta after that? Is it New Orleans and then Atlanta? Is that the journey? That's correct, Shah Omar. So my mom, very much being from Detroit and of that mindset was like, I can't stay here very long. So they, my parents ended up leaving New Orleans when I was about a year, I think a year, year and a half old. And we went to Atlanta. So uh, but uh, but it still kind of stayed with me in terms of the food and the culture and those things. So what's your favorite soul food, suhoor, iftar? Like what does a southern iftar suhoor look like? You know, subhanAllah. So it, for me, it's actually, and this is actually from my mom, right? She's from Detroit, but there are Southern origins there because she's African-American. So um, so our, our iftar just the other night was actually corn, beans, cornbread, and a kale salad, which I think is a very Southern soul food thing. I don't know about the kale part, but the, the beans and the cornbread. Is, <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you're from New Orleans because you say New Orleans properly. You know, here's what happens with New Orleans is that you've got people that say New Orleans, and then you have those that try to be exotic, like Sheikh Abdullah says Nolans or something like that, or he tries to like, you know. I knew it. I knew it was going to <laughs> Sheikh Abdullah, you went to New Orleans recently, right? Yes, I did. And Tried calling you to find out about the cuisine, but your brother, mashallah, he looked out for me. Oh, man. Oh. You weren't answering your phone. Alhamdulillah, it was beautiful, man. The, um, the shrimp spot, the shrimp po' boys. There you go. I forgot the name right. of it. Oh, boy. There's nothing like it. It was a long line. I waited there for a long time. There's nothing like it. You go to those like 100-year-old restaurants, 150-year-old restaurants that serve those fried oyster po'boys, fried shrimp po'boys. There's nothing like it. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice, mashallah. See, that's, that's my dad's favorite sandwich, by the way. Mashallah. Really? Yeah. We, so he's like, you know, you need to try shrimp po'boys. This is like years after we leave New Orleans. 
And then he was, a, he was in Knoxville recently trying to find shrimp po' boys. We found this one restaurant, but the guy, Miskeen, couldn't find any workers. He's like, do you have someone who can come and cook for us? Literally is what he said. I love bless your father, bless your mother. Actually, every time I go to New Orleans, that's the first thing I do is I go to that spot that I sent Sheikh Abdullah to, uh, to have my fried shrimp po' boy. It's like it's, it's it's like a sunnah of going to New Orleans, you know. <laughs> yeah, well worth it. Well worth it. We apologize to the uh, the 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 Hanafis that don't eat shrimp. Uh, and as <laughs> far as this program, it's like teasing upon teasing. We'll wait till Mufti Abdurrahman Wahid comes here to kind of mess with him about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zakumullah khairan. Tayyib, inshallah ta'ala, we will get started. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So we are now in uh, Juz uh, 17, and I just got signed out of my account, so um, I don't know what that means for us, but uh, alhamdulillah, but I mean, I'll probably have to read off my phone then, inshallah, it's out of my notes. Um, I don't know if Sheikh Abdullah just hacked my, hacked my account. I might be <laughs> good, but, uh, alhamdulillah, but I mean, as we've been talking about the, the, the two different groups of people and what those two groups actually look like, uh, when you come to Juz 17, you actually start to see once again that Allah continues to talk about these two groups. And this is really a familiar theme when you get to Mecca Quran and realize that a lot of this is, is Quran that was revealed in Mecca or some ayat in Mecca, some ayat that were in uh, al Medina. So you start to see the difference uh, between the two groups. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us amongst those that have Maqam and Mahmuda, that, that uh, honor delegation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. SubhanAllah, just we, we, the, the, the last episode yesterday on intercessors on the Day of Judgment, uh, that is that honor delegation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's actually my favorite, one of my favorite episodes from the entire Judgment Day series. Um, may Allah make us from those who gain the intercession of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but also are elevated to a place where they can intercede on behalf of others. Allahumma ameen. So look at the last, you know, the, the last part of Surah Taha, which is from the previous uh, Juz, verse 122 is that verse. And as we said in the beginning of the Judgment Day series, the Prophet explained this as a moment in the grave, in fact, the constricted life in the grave, and then being resurrected uh, without sight and being completely lost and confused and wandering on that day. And demanding, you know, the, the blessings uh, that they took for granted in this life. And of course, as we said, they also have a constricted lifestyle here, constricted chests, constricted hearts, because they don't ponder uh, the remembrance of Allah. And when they don't ponder upon the remembrance of Allah, they're not able to grasp the deeper meanings of life. And so that's how Surah Taha ends, right? Now, I want to look at verse 1 of Surah Taha from the previous juz and then go into verse 1, the, the, the first ayah of Al-Anbiya and the first ayah of Al-Hajj, which is just very profound. Remember the very first ayah of Surah Taha was, مَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْقَى Taha مَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْقَى إِلَّا تَذْكِرَةً لِمَنْ يَخْشَى That this is not, the, the revelation was not meant to cause you distress. The, the revelation is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a cure, it's a healing. It was not meant to cause you distress. And if you look at the first verse of Surah Al-Anbiya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That the people's hisab is coming close. The time of people's judgment has drawn near. So as it's coming closer to them, 
they are heedlessly turning away. They are immersing themselves further in heedlessness. And this is actually, you know, one of the great ironies as uh, Imam Ibn Rajab rahimahullah ta'ala, I believe mentioned, it was either him or Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah, mentioned a profound point that, you know, as the world goes on, you find that obviously people's righteousness declines and corruption increases. And just by nature, the, the longer we are here, the closer we're getting to the day of judgment. But you find that the remembrance of the Akhirah becomes less and less. And the public manifestations of ghafla, of heedlessness, of materialism, of self-worship, and all of that that, that takes people away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, you find that that increases. So it's counterintuitive. You're getting closer to the end of times, yet you're acting like the hereafter doesn't exist collectively as uh, as as mankind. But on the individual level, right, your hisab is coming closer. You're getting older and you're getting closer to that day. But if you are insisting upon a path of ghafla, if you're insisting upon a path of heedlessness and ignorance, then you are mu'ridun. You're turning away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you're turning away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's not that you're actually pushing away the day of judgment or the hereafter. You're just pushing away the Lord of this dunya and the Lord of the day of judgment. You're pushing away the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is for your own benefit. And so, you know, the first ayah of Taha is reminding you why the revelation is here. The second, the first ayah of Anbiya is reminding us that some people are turning away from what is becoming more and more inevitable to them. And then the first ayah of Al-Hajj, Surah Al-Hajj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya rabbakum inna zarzalata sa'ati shay'un azim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O mankind, O people, be mindful of your Lord. That the trembling of the hour is, is, is a mighty thing. It's a mighty thing. And so, subhanAllah, you have here comparison, right? Where you have people that are in ghafla, that are turning away. And heedlessness, heedlessness does not change the circumstances or the consequences of the deeds. It simply dulls your own perception of those circumstances and those consequences. So you are purposely closing your eyes. And Taha, you know, a person's complaining about blindness at the end of the Taha. And then you get into uh, Al-Anbiya and it's, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's you are purposely closing your eyes to what is on its way to you. Taqwa is hyper-awareness and consciousness. So Taqwa being the opposite of Ghafla here, right? So the next surah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling for Taqwa. Be mindful of your Lord, right? And when you're mindful of your Lord, then you won't be in a state of heedlessness and turning away from uh, the inevitable. Now, subhanAllah, you, you see the, the multiple scenes here. And actually, many of them that we're talking about in the Judgment Day series actually show up here. Surah Al-Anbiya, verse 47, the famous verse, وَنَضَعُ very famous verse, we will set up the scales of justice on the day of judgment and no soul is going to be wronged in the least. And even if a deed, the weight of a mustard seed is done, then it will be brought forth. So Allah will bring forth the deeds on the day of judgment, but you won't be wronged. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient as a, uh, as a reckoner, as an assessor. So here, subhanAllah, you have the scene of the mizan. Right? What are you putting in your mizan? And and by the way, subhanAllah, as we get into uh, the third part of the Judgment Day series, 
there's going to be a lot about the mizan, a lot about the mizan, and the details of the scale, the details of the mizan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our mizan heavy with good deeds. Allahumma ameen. So you have the scene of the mizan. And then I'm going to bring in, in conclusion to these last two ayat, this comparison between two, going from an anbiya into a hajj. In Al-Anbiya, verse 103, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That they will not be uh, disturbed. Allah is talking about the believers. They will not be disturbed or grieved by Al-Fazar by the supreme shock. And the angels will in fact greet them and say, this is your day which you have been promised. So subhanAllah, you have people that are completely at ease with al-faz'a al-akbar, the great shock, right? You're talking about the initiation. It doesn't get more terrifying than that of this day, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that the believers are going to be put to ease. They will not grieve. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst them. Allahumma ameen. And the angels will be comforting them and telling them, remember, this is the day you were promised. You know, you knew this day was coming. You were not from the people of ghafla. You were not from the people of heedlessness. You were preparing yourself. So remember this day, you were told about it, you recited Qur'an about it, you acted towards it, you're okay, and you're being escorted in a certain way. SubhanAllah, what does Surah Al-Hajj begin with? What scene from the Day of Judgment, verse 2, the very second verse, يَوْمَ تَرَوْنَهَا تَذْهَلُ كُلُّ مُرْضِعَةٍ عَمَّا أَرْضَعَتْ وَطَلَعُ كُلُّ ذَاتِ حَمْلٍ حَمْلَهَا وَتَرَى النَّاسَ سُكَارًا وَمَا هُمْ بِسُكَارًا وَلَكِنَّ عَذَابُ اللَّهِ شَدِيدٍ uh, abandon the child that she is nursing and uh, you know uh, the, the shock of that day would cause a, a pregnant woman to uh, to to deliver uh, prematurely and you will see people looking like they are drunk but they are not drunk it is the gravity of that day so the people just running around confused lost looking for answers looking for a path and they don't find a path why? Because they were fi ghaflatin mu'ridun. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the beginning of this juz, fi ghaflatin mu'ridun. They were in heedlessness, turning away. Whereas those that were prepared are being put to ease. It's not that the day is less severe. SubhanAllah, this is something that one of my teachers had mentioned in tafsir of this ayah. It's not that the day is less severe. It's that Allah Azza is sending you the angels to comfort you and let you know you're okay. So it's not that the scenes are, you know, not, not um, you know, grave, right, as you're seeing them, but it's, you're okay because you were ready for this. So don't be sad. Don't be afraid, don't grieve is what they say to you, what the angels say to you when you're dying. And on that day when you see, you know, the Fazar uh, al-Akbar, the great shock, don't worry, don't be sad. You know, uh, this is the day you were promised. So subhanAllah, at the time of death, that this is the promise of paradise that was given to you, uh, being given to you now. And here you have the opposite of that, or here you have the second side of that, the other side of that realm, uh, the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being realized of comforting the believer at that time. So inshallah ta'ala with that, I'll pass it off to Shaykh Abdullah. Jazakallah khairan. Jazakallah khairan. Bismillah wa salatu wa salamu wa ala rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Amma ba'du. Within our religion of Islam, as you know, Shaykh Omar mentioned, is, is the belief that there will be a day that these events will happen. I mean, he just recently made a series over that day of judgment and the events that will take place before we actually go to, inshallah, inshallah, to be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Jannah. 
But there are those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses in the Quran, those that were negligent or those that denied the truth that came to them or those that were combative. And all of these are elements of what is known as kufr or disbelief. Even linguistically, kufr means that which is uh, an individual that is ungrateful. They realize a blessing and then they don't acknowledge it voluntarily after their fitrah, their fitrah. And this is what is important. Their natural self and inclination recognizes that blessing just naturally by default. They recognize that this is beyond their capabilities. From our belief as Muslim is to believe that there is a day of resurrection, that there will be a day of judgment. As we say, Maliki Yomidin, the owner, the, this, the, the Malik, the owner or the king of this day of judgment, the day that you will be judged. We also believe as Muslims that there will be a bath, there will be a resurrection, that you will come out of your graves and that you, your body or your spirit will come in front of Allah, your soul will come in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is when the hisab will take place. A sequence of events, I highly implore you to watch the Day of Judgment series because inshallah he will be touching on that. What I want to capitalize on is in the chapter of Hajj verses number 63 to 65 roughly. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in uh, verse number 64 as an intro, when he starts off, before that he talks about how Allah is al-haq, how he is the truth, and how what all the other people call call to is uh, al-baltil. It is something that is uh, a form of, it is not true in the sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing the haq and bringing the deen of Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on and he mentions, subhanAllah, uh, after a'udhu billahi shaitan al-rajim, where he says, Alam tara anna Allah anzala min as-samaa'i ma'an fatusbihu al-ardu mukhdarra. Uh inna Allah latifun khabir. This is verse number uh 63 where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, "Have you not prophet considered how Allah sends down water from the sky and the next morning the earth becomes green? God is truly the most subtle, the most aware." Remember how I mentioned to you earlier, we mentioned numerous times and Abdurrahman al-Sa'di he mentions this uh 12th century Hijri scholar. He says how whenever you see names at the end of a verse, know that there is a munasaba, know that there is a relevance, know that there is a connection, that there is a contextual connection that is tied to those two names or one name. And that whole connection is for you to be uplifted spiritually, i.e. for your iman to increase over preponderance. And this is the actualization of pondering over the Quran. This is what is wanted for the individual when they read or listen. When they hear these two names, they'll say, what is the connection? So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks a rhetorical question. Do you not see, alam tara, yani al tara, do you not understand how Allah sends or ponder over how Allah sends uh, water from the sky and the earth becomes green? And the fa here means a ta'qib, meaning that the earth will become green after a period of time. And as some Imam Sa'adi mentions, even that subhanAllah, when we see from the the dampness of the earth from the rain that comes down and it soaks up the earth, how it becomes green over a period of time. And subhanAllah here when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah latifun khabir. Okay, latif is the most subtle. Khabir is the all aware. Diqqatul ilm, meaning that his knowledge is very, very daqiq, very precise. He knows the precise, small, minutiae things. He has knowledge of it because he is its creator. He is al-khaliq. So how is he latif? He is all deep because he, he is subtle because he extracts these fruits, this vegetation from the ground, and that is the lutfum bikum, because he gives it to you for you to be sustained with it. And khabir, he is the all knowledgeable of what fruits to extract and when. 
as we know that there are fruits per season. There are you know, summer fruits and there are winter fruits. His knowledge of the munasabah of when it is re relevant for you, when it is good for you, when it is bad for you, is because of his khibra, of his knowledge. And we don't want to use the word, we can say experience, but of his knowledge and his, his element, his knowledge of being all aware of every single thing that he creates and how they connect with one another to benefit one another. And for us as human beings, how they benefit us in order to ultimately worship and show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So giving that example of asking the question, do you not see how the rain comes down and then this takes place because he is the most subtle, the all aware. Then moves on after that and he says, Allah gives two names again. He says, everything in the heavens and the earth belong to him. God alone is self-sufficient, ghani, and worthy of all praise, Hamid. Al-Ghani al-Hamid. Okay, what's the connection? That he is everything in the heavens and the earth belongs to him. Okay, where is self-sufficient? Because if it belongs to him, he is not in need of anything. This is why the one that is rich is Ghani, because they are not in need to a certain degree, because we're humans. But Allah is Al-Ghani, he is a self-sufficient, and the proof of that is He is in control over it. It is all his, ultimately. And he is al-hamid because of his ghina. He is the all praise because of his self-sufficiency. When someone is not in need of anyone, you praise that person because of maybe the hard work that they've obtained in order to reach that level of not being in need or being in need of lesser people than the average quote-unquote person in a particular field and whatever the case may be. Knowledge of their religion, their ulama, these scholars. They will not need that many people to tell them about the religion as opposed to a, a person that is a layman. And they are praised because of the hard work and the knowledge that they possess and the actions that emanate from that knowledge, inshallah ta'ala. So Allah is al-ghani and he is al-hamid. He is all praise. He deserves all praise, particularly in this particular context, because of his self-sufficiency. Then Allah continues to say, Allah asks the question again, have you not considered how God has made everything on the earth as a service for you, service to you, that ships sail the sea at his command, that he keeps the heavens from falling down on the earth without his permission? God is most compassionate and most merciful to mankind. He is the most compassionate. He is the most compassionate and the most merciful being that 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 Rafa become the fact that he does not allow this quote unquote destruction to take place. He allows the ships to sail. He allows this to sail and to reach its destination in safety. All of this is mercy. In conclusion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here, making that connection with what was mentioned from agriculture and what was mentioned from Allah being in control of all things. He says here, Allah says here, it is he who has gave you people life and will cause you to die and then will give you life again, but man is ungrateful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about giving life and death and life. And even in the Quran where he talks about uh, in the chapter of Al-Ghafir, that the non-Muslims, they will say, the people that disbelieve in Allah voluntarily, they will say, that they will say, oh Allah, you have caused us to die twice and given us life twice. 
diff scholars differ on whether what are these two forms of life and what are these two forms of, of, of death. And some of them will say that the, the two forms of life, the first death, which causes to die twice, is when you are when you are in the wombs of your mother before the breath of life is breathed into you. Okay, so that's the first first death. And then the first form of second form of death is when we leave this earth. As Ibn Qayyim mentions, that the separation of the soul from the body, that's the second death. The two forms of life is when the breath of life is breathed into you. And then the second form of life is when you are going to the next life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that are successful in this next life. So when seeing this, the connection is how when we look at plants and agriculture, and I highly implore all of you just looking outside of your apartment in your house and looking at the seasons change and connecting that to your reality. That's what Allah wants. When you look at his ayat, use it as something that increases your iman. And that's why everything other than Allah is an ayah. It is a sign that Allah is here and that he will always be here. And he uses these signs and connects them together for you to take ibr, to take a lesson from it, to ultimately be of those individuals who are, who, who's their iman, is a, their iman and their faith is increased to where we'll be recognizing the accountability that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we will have in front of him. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that recognize this connection of the agriculture and make us of those that recognize that there will be a day where we will go in front of him. Inna huwa liyu dhalika. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair, Shaykh Abdullah. Ustaz Zainab, Bismillah. Please go ahead. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wabihi nasta'een. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulhi al-kareem. Assalamu alaikum again. That was excellent, mashallah. So much to reflect on. So actually just looking out the window here um, at my office, we have like a little garden we started at Taysir. And it's just amazing. I mean, surely Allah Ta'ala, I mean, every year you can see that cycle of life, Allah Ta'ala reviving the earth. So I wanted to comment. There are a couple of things that, that, um, that really stood out. Um, from your presentation, Sheikh Armar and Sheikh Abdullah, um, you know, thinking about, and I really, what I want to do is really kind of tie this back to the Quraysh. I've been kind of thinking a lot about the Quraysh kind of as avatars of surprisingly modernity and kind of how they respond to the Prophet, peace upon him, how they kind of respond to revelation. And, um, you know, a couple of things. One is that the, the, the you know, the Quraysh are, uh, you know, the Quran has revealed to a people that they, they are very much kind of a part of this natural world they, they inhabit in terms of they're not disconnected from the, you know, celestial uh, sort of signs and the the, the kind of uh, changing of, uh, you know, seasons and agriculture in the way that we kind of often are as modern people. However, if you kind of look at the way that the Quraysh respond to the Prophet, peace upon him, I always say to my students, um, when you look at the arguments of, of, of atheists, you can kind of see that these arguments are not novel arguments. These are arguments that, that the Quraysh are going to make that Allah Ta'ala refutes directly in the Quran. And, you know, I was just listening the other day to, I think, some podcast or something, and, and there was someone, an, an atheist, who was saying that that uh, the, the existence of hardship is primarily what prevents him from, from, from believing in, in, in Allah Ta'ala. And Subhanallah, I was thinking about um, you know what what Sheikh Omar said about this idea of um, of, of ghafla, and if we kind of think about ghafla um, or this condition of um, you know of heedlessness in sort of psychological and emotional terms, you know I think about 
behaviors you might engage in, like buffering behaviors. This is basically when we, when we kind of engage in a behavior because we don't want to kind of deal with reality with what's in front of us. So we kind of find something to kind of occupy our attention to divert us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, there's again so much here that I want to unpack. But, you know, again, thinking about uh, the Quraysh, their response to the Prophet, peace be upon him, this idea that they really can only deal with what with what's kind of immediately in front of them. They don't want to deal with the idea of the reality of the Akhirah. You know, they're in, in constant kind of pursuit of, of, of the dunya and so on. And they really kind of epitomize what it means for a human being to not want to deal with things that are difficult and to be in the state of ghafla, the state of kind of buffering, just sort of not wanting to deal with these kind of heavy uh, emotions and thoughts. And subhanAllah, there's an ayah that uh, that I wanted to mention here in Surat, uh, uh, it's, a, it's an Al-Anbiya, chapter 21, I believe. And in this particular ayah, here we are, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, we have, وَإِذَا رَآكَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا إِنْ يَتَّخِذُونَكَ إِلَّا هُزُوًا أَهَذَا الَّذِي يَذْكُرُوا آلِهَتَكُمْ وَهُمْ بِذِكْرِ الرَّحْمَانِ هُمْ كَافِرُونَ So this is 2136, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In 2136, Allah Ta'ala revealed, and when those who disbelieve see you, O Prophet, O Muhammad, they take you not except in ridicule, saying, is this the one who insults your gods? And they are at the mention of the most merciful disbelievers. So really, this is like the ultimate form of ghafla, because again, they're turning away from all these signs in front of them. They've, you know, they've they've been given this gift of a prophet and messenger. And this is their response. Their response is that they can really kind of only fixate on this idea of, of their gods, their deities being being insulted, not taking the prophet seriously, alayhi salatu wasalam, and scorning the idea of the uh, the mention of the most merciful. So again, the Quraysh, they're very interesting in the sense that they have so much in terms of their own natural environment, and they can kind of connect to the signs of Allah Ta'ala through that natural environment, but they really are very much avatars, I think, for so many kind of objections to kind of religion and revelation that we kind of think about in terms of modernity. Um, so that's one thing that I wanted to mention. Um, you know, the other thing too, kind of thinking about the signs of Allah Ta'ala kind of writ large, I was also really fascinated by the opening of the surahs. And this is something that um, that Sheikh Omar mentioned. So we have the opening of Surah um, Al-Anbiya, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So this is 21.1. The, the time of their account has approached for the people, but again, steeped in heedlessness, this buffering, not dealing with things, with what's heavy and with what's difficult because they want to play and pursue uh, frivolity. And then thinking about, the opening of chapter 54, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, iqtarabat sa'atu wan al-qamar. Right, so we know that in the time of the Prophet, these, these signs take place, like visible signs of the coming of the Day of Judgment, but still the Quraysh want to refute that because, again, their gaze is, is, is along the, the horizontal always and never the vertical. So, subhanAllah, I was really intrigued because someone asked me, why is this... Uh, why is the term sa'a used in this context in the Quran? So I was really kind of intrigued by how Allah Ta'ala discusses time and, and, and related concepts in the Quran, whether it's sa'a, whether it's yom, whether it's dahr, whether it's asr. And that in these particular ayahs, 
that Allah Ta'ala is conveying something about the last day with a sense of immediacy because again the mindset of the Quraysh is that they cannot really accept this they don't want to deal with this they want to kind of um, put this off to some time that's very 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 far off and the usage of the term sa'a in particular and the and the, and the verb iqtarab al-nas I mean this is frightening that this is nigh it's upon you it's around the corner so there's something that I wanted to share uh, that I that I found when I was kind of researching um, the usage of time in the Quran. And this is actually a book written by Barbara Stowasser on, on time in the sacred revelation. It's called um, The Day Begins at Sunset. And she writes that the Quran really beautifully balances time from really two perspectives. It's going to define time in terms of a transcendent and omnipotent God. But at the same time, in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala gives us features of time that are richly concrete and practical to allow us to make the connection between Allah Ta'ala's authorship of all celestial signs and movements and their benefit to the human race to allow us to use these signs as ways to do what? Measure time so that we can do what? Benefit from the time we've been given and not fall into that ghafla, into that heedlessness. So that's something that I wanted to share as I was trying to um, kind of put together my reflection for this. And again, so much that Sheikh Omar Sheikh Abdullah offered that I wanted to respond to. Um, another thing as well, right? Again, going back to the idea of the Quraysh and they can't deal with the idea of Akhirah and they're so kind of focused on what's immediately in front of them you know, thinking a lot about the last days of the prophet, peace and blessings be upon him. And, you know, you know, of course, we, we focus a lot, nat, you know, naturally, you know, on, on um, the da'wah, the mission, um, the ghazawat, the campaigns of the prophet, peace be upon him. But I've been thinking a lot about what are those last moments like? Because, you know, again, you know, the Quraysh it might be easy to say, well, you know, I'm not like them. I'm a Muslim. I'm a, I'm a believer. You know, I, I but subhanAllah, I mean, there's something in terms of what Allah Ta'ala is telling us that be careful not to kind of um, have that mindset because their inclination was such that they were so, uh, which, you know, sort of just, ten just what's the term, just tenaciously kind of attached, um, avidly kind of desirous of this dunya. They couldn't appreciate the idea of an akhirah. So, you know, and this is part of human nature. I mean, we fear the unknown. We fear death because Again, all we see in front of us is this dunya. So when you look at the example of the final days of the Prophet, peace be upon him, I was just really struck by this. You know, he's with Sayyidah Aisha. This is at the very end. And, you know, it really is an example of how to not just live with beauty and grace and dignity and firm conviction and yaqeen, but how to pass away in that state. And so... Uh, this is at the very last moment, and he closes his eyes and he opens them, وسلم, and she remembered that he said to her, um, that no prophet is taken by death until he's been shown his place in paradise. So subhanAllah, you know, the prophet at the end of his life is actually given that option between kind of having his life prolonged and having sort of some type of um, immortality or or, or 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 being with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the akhirah and i think about this again back to the surah chapter 21 bismillahir rahmanir rahim wa ma ja'alna li bashar min qablika al khuld 
And we did not grant to any man before you eternity. So if you die, would they then be eternal? I.e. referencing the Quraysh. So subhanAllah, I mean, if the best of creation is going to turn down this sort of, again, tenacious kind of attachment, avid attachment to this world, Right. What does that show us? Again, how to pass with dignity, with beauty, you know, with with grace. And what's so beautiful is in that final moment, what the Prophet does, peace upon him, is that he elects to be with Al-Mala Al-A'la, to be, he elects to be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the best of company. And he recites this ayah from 469. And this is on his lips, peace be upon him, as he is, is, is passing away. So again, in every facet of his life, والسلام, from beginning to end, a lesson to the uh, Quraysh, a lesson, uh, lessons for the Sahaba, and uh, lessons for every single person that reflects upon his beloved Sirah and is reading these ayahs uh, in the Qur'an. So alhamdulillah, this is uh, an honor to be here with everybody today. And I pray this, this reflection is of, uh, of benefit. Jazakallah khaira. Ustada Zainab, that was uh, of immense benefit, subhanAllah. And, and I think it just occurred to me um, what you just mentioned about the Prophet sallallahu seeing his place in Jannah. SubhanAllah, I mean, what uh, we, we see Asya, alayhi salam, seeing her place before she's taken. Uh, there's no mightier place than the place of our Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah allow us to be in his companionship. And for those of the Allahumma ameen. As you are going through this and, and sort of talking about, I mean, you mentioned Quraysh, and, and I, I really love what you mentioned here as an avatar of modernity and sort of the, the opposite of the Prophet sallallahu you have some You have a group of people so deeply attached to this world that they're being blinded from the potential beauty of the hereafter. And then you have the Prophet who is the complete opposite of that, who the whole world is presenting itself at his feet. And he's so deeply attached to the hereafter in such a beautiful way that inspires us uh, until today. Is there, subhanAllah, I mean, obviously, Sheikh Abdullah, feel free to, to share anything else um, and, and reflect on that. Ustada Zainab, was there anything about just the, anything further as you're reading through this juz, just about the mindset of the people or, uh, anything further you'd love to you know, share with us? Uh, SubhanAllah, this was such a profound reflection. You know, absolutely. So, you know, another thing too, you know, Sheikh Ahmad and Sheikh Abdullah is I was thinking a lot about Abu Sufyan. So one of the things we do in our Sirah classes, I like to show little film clips. You know, there's the Omar series, there's the Risala film. You know, and there's this like, it's almost this moment of like epic trolling, if you think about it. When um, Abu Sufyan finds himself after what, how many years is this? It's like, 20 years of opposing the prophet peace be upon him and then abu sufyan of all people ends up doing what he ends up um he ends up going to jerusalem he's, he's in al-quds in the court of uh, heraclius who is the head of byzantium and heraclius by that time has received the letter from the prophet والسلام, and you know i i again i thinking again uh, this i you know thinking about the mindset of the Quraysh and how allah ta'ala is addressing them throughout these two surahs, by the way, that that they have this blessing and this mercy and this gift. I mean, 
that the prophet is, is, is not, is, it was sent, was not sent except to be a mercy to them, a mercy course to all the worlds, but this is given to them this gift. So after 20 years of fighting the prophet and opposing him and trying to undermine him at every turn, of all people, Abu Sufyan ends up doing what? Going to Heraclius. Heraclius says, tell me about this man. Who He looks at the group of Quraysh that's there and says, I want to talk to the person who's most closely related to the person who sent me this letter. And now Abu Sufyan, I think, and, you know, I just think of this like, this is a case, like Heraclius, like that's like an epic troll. You're going to have Abu Sufyan now come and he's going to speak now in defense of the Prophet. It's like the best moment ever. And I think about, mm-hmm. subhanAllah, how this comes full circle. It's like you, ca- you, know, you cast him out, you exiled him, you persecuted him, you tortured his followers, you tried to assassinate him. And now you are standing there in front of like the head of the world's super, like one of the main superpowers at that time, defending the prophet. And there's this amazing moment in the Omar series where the actors really do a great job of this, by the way, you know, where the Heraclius says to and Abu Sufyan and this message that you kept rejecting that you didn't want to hear and follow what what did this prophet ask of you again and abu sufyan falters and he stops and he thinks about it he says well he asked us to believe in god and not associate partners with him and establish prayer and pay charity and you're just kind of trying to in in that moment kind of inhabit you know kind of what how he must feel in that moment subhanallah you know comes full circle for the Quraysh. And then, and then he becomes Muslim and narrates the hadith. Yes, because uh, <laughs> the hadith is from Abu Sufyan, absolutely. So, yeah, right out, really, right after this, he becomes Muslim. Subhanallah, Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Allah is so merciful that, I mean, that that the message still penetrated the heart of a man who, twenty years, rejected the Prophet's license and tried to undermine him this way. And Subhanallah becomes a part of actually uh, sending that message down to us. May Allah bless you. Sheikh Abdullah, you got any reflection, any anything that... No, any alhamdulillah, I think y'all covered it all, mashallah. Yeah. Mashallah. Alhamdulillah. Beautiful. Beautiful. This, this, was, this was very, very enriching. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you. You had something something else that, 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 that you had to say? <laughs> One more ayah, if I may. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I was thinking about this ayah in, in, in Al-Anbiya again, verse 109. But if they turn away, then say, I have announced to all of you equally, and I know not whether near or far is that which you are promised. To me, that's so beautiful. I mean, that the Prophet, he exerts his utmost effort, right? Whatever the outcome, whatever the response, he made sure time and time again to really deliver the message in the best way. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We really, really benefited from your presence. We hope to see you year in, year out, and inshallah ta'ala, more than just 30 for 30. We, we hope to always benefit from you. May Allah preserve you, protect you, and, and uh, bless your, your family, and bless everyone there at Taysir Seminary. Uh, please give our salam to Sheikh Hassan al-Ashad, inshallah, and all of the students there at Taysir. And Absolutely. And just a shout out to Yaqeen Institute. It's like our favorite channel. So I want everybody to follow, donate, support, make du'a for, for our mashayikh and a wonderful team of volunteers here at Yaqeen. Inshallah, for the rest of you, we'll see you all tomorrow, inshallah, and we'll also see you at the webathon uh, on Wednesday, but in the night time. According to a Pew research conducted in 2017, 
24% of Muslim adults who grew up, of course, in Muslim households, do not associate with the faith anymore. Clearly, the stakes are very high, and we cannot take this lightly. So she's Muslim, but her parents... As educators, we realize that our responsibility to teach our truth to this generation is enormous, and it has to be done in fresh and innovative ways. In Islamic Studies Department, Religious Studies Department, we don't have access to lesson plans like core teachers do. When it comes to other subjects, they have access to great academic research. Unfortunately, most of the research work that is available in the field of Islamic studies is in Arabic, and many teachers don't have access to the language, or they're not at that level where they can access Arabic books. And I guess that's where Yaqeen comes in. Curriculum such as Yaqeen's that comes complete with all resources, whether it's worksheets or lesson plans or objectives and standards, video resources, reflection questions, best part about Yaqeen's curriculum is that it's very flexible, it's very fluid, it's not rigid. I assess the need of my student and then I customize it 